If, if you guys have your Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. We're going to begin with this prayer. You guys can stay seated for this prayer, but please pray it with me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Revelation 16, 1 through 9. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowls on earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. And the third angel poured out his bowl into rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was for you have brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory so this is why uh, we get into this text we need to make sure that our eyes are firmly fixed on jesus because it can get really weird really fast and uh and really bad kind of scary right so for four and a half years as a church here at grace and mercy we bless you we went through we went through the the Psalms. And it wasn't for nothing. It was to set us up for times like these. And, and in the Psalms, we were learning how to pray. We were learning what we can say, what emotions we're allowed to have. And these prayers gave us permission to express ourselves, our whole selves, before God with the expectation that God will answer. Not in our timing, but that He will answer. And one of the prayers that is prayed over and over and over again in the Psalms is at least some part of the theme is like, how long, O Lord? How long will you let the wicked rule? How long will I have to go through this pain and suffering? How long will you allow bad things to happen to good people? How long will you allow wickedness and evil to have its way? And your righteousness and your truth be pushed down. Here in Revelation 16, we see an answer to these prayers that we've prayed as a church. There is a limit. There is a limit. There is a time when it will absolutely come to an end. And if you've noticed in this section of Revelation, verse, or chapter 15 and now in 16, it, uh, God is answering our long-standing prayers with these bowls of wrath being poured out on the whole earth. Before, it said it was going to be poured out on a third of the earth, a third of the earth, a third of the earth. But now we have the whole earth that is involved. And as we get into this section as well, you see 
Um, you see, again, strong elements of Moses' story. Moses from Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. These plagues that we see in this text, in Revelation 16, we've seen them before, just not on this scale. We've seen them before. Every bowl of wrath that we see contains an element of plagues that were poured out on Egypt when God was rescuing his people from slavery. And this is what we get to think when we're in this text. It's a rescue text. And this lets us know right off the bat a few things. One, that it's God's work. It's not our work. That it's not, we don't save ourselves. And in reading this scripture in these scenes, they're shown not to invoke some sort of self-righteousness, but to show us that we need a rescuer. And it shows us the depth of that need. And so in this, when we read this, we get to remain humbly and in awe of God's might and power as we read sections of scripture like this. This section of scripture is not here to invoke fear. It is showing us a picture, but as we'll, soon, as we'll see soon, it's a picture that has love and kindness and that God does this for us. For years, I've had this problem with, with preachers who preach this. They use scripture like this, like this one in particular and then ones like it to invoke fear. They'll say things like, you don't want this to happen to you, do you? So give your life to Jesus and all will be peachy keen. Or that it's not, and that's not the point of this scripture. I've also seen this sections of scripture like this one used as a sort of celebration of what happens to those evil, wicked people. And yeah, God, get them. Burn, baby, burn. Like that kind of idea. And this is not its use either. And it's one of those reasons, like one of my questions in coming to this scripture, like I wrote, one of the first things I wrote on my page of notes when I was going through this is like, why does God show us what is going to happen to those people who rebel against him? If during this scene, those people who are love, who love him and are obedient to him are already protect, protected. This is a question that I have. I don't think we're necessarily going to solve that. But why show us this if it isn't going to happen to us? And I believe it's to show us in part that scripture says that God is just and true, that he will fulfill his promises. He's showing us that there is an answer to prayer. And he shows us once again that in his kindness and goodness during this time. To be clear, these bowls of wrath are poured out on the wicked that remained on earth. Those who have the mark of the beast and who want the mark of the beast and those who've repeatedly seen God's power given a chance to deny the beast and follow God, and they choose to worship the beast even though they can clearly see that he's defeated and he's losing. This is those who appear to remain on earth during this section of scripture. There is zero desire for these folks to worship God in spirit and in truth. There's zero desire for these folks to admit that there's something greater than themselves or the beasts. And this is in part the justice of God that is being poured out on earth to give just rewards for the wickedness and evil that they've poured out on God's children. Think if someone poured out blood and killed your children. 
God is a good father. Not only is he good, he's also perfect father who will not allow this to continue forever and ever without end. There will be an end. He loves his children uh, too much. So God allows these angels to pour out these bowls of wrath that come upon the earth, the sea, the rivers, the suns. I imagine even like down to little ponds and all that and bring judgments and punishments for those who have gone against his children. We see here that there's boils and sickness that affect the flesh and cause pain. There's blood in the water, not just in the sea, but rivers as well. And then my personal favorite, fire that shoots out from the sun and scorches the earth. I, I, I was going to try and work in a joke about this last Monday, right? The hottest day on temp, but I couldn't, I couldn't work it out. So we're, we're living in the end times, folks. Like, you don't want this to happen to you, do you? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, so uh, this could all seem... It could all seem, and some have said, that this is God getting revenge. That God will take his revenge, or he'll get it, depending on the perspective. And this is not what this is. This is not revenge. It's God's justice. The, we've been talking a lot about, in Revelation, the empires, as we've been talking about through Revelations. The empires bring this upon themselves. They've been given a lot of chances, and many up to this point have repented. We've seen it over and over and over, but this is the remnant of those who do not. This judgment doesn't come until repentance is refused outright once and for all and forever. It is refused not only once, but repeatedly, and over and over, God has this desire for these people to relent, but these folks keep saying no, I will not relent. I'm going to worship something other than you. Those that endure in this judgment are in direct and repeated defiance to God. And this defies their own logic. It defies their rationale. It defies all of that. God has shown himself. He's revealed himself in his goodness and grace to these people. And yet these people want to live in evil and wickedness. It's just the plain fact of it. It is just to give people what they want. And that's what God does. They choose sin over and over and over again. They choose it. This is what they want. This wasn't God's heart. This isn't what God wants. He wanted to give life. That is why it was constantly offered over and over again. Even when you or I would have given up, we can see here that God is still in pursuit of repentance, even if they deny it. In the last line of this section of Scripture, it says, they did not repent and give Him glory. This has the strong kind of feeling that even during these seven bowls of wrath, that God is offering repentance as a way out, and it's simply not taken. These people are making a choice. God's agenda is not destruction. It is salvation. But these who are worshiping the beast simply don't want salvation either because they don't think they need it or they don't want it. They want to continue in wickedness and evil. And they bring this on themselves through their direct and deliberate defiance. They do not repent. They might not ever. They want to cause harm to God and his people. As we see these bowls of wrath being poured out, there will be worship. And even if it's not like celebration, like, yeah, 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 but... 
There is worship in the midst of that. We are witnessing the answer to our long-standing prayers that wickedness and evil will come to an end. We are the how long, O Lord, is being answered in these prayers. And we are seeing true justice brought down in these judgments from God. They've killed and tormented God's people and God's prophets long enough, and they are offered a way out. They refuse it. And so, as Scripture says, it is what they deserve. As we, it, as we say it is what they deserve, the wages, we have to be reminded that the truth is the wages of sin, any sin, is death. And that is what they are getting here. They're getting death. And yet God in his goodness offers grace. He offers to forgive all our sins. All our unrighteousness would be undone before him if we accept his offer this is not what we deserve and yet he offers us grace so the the comment is that they get what they deserve could be said or should be said with a good amount of humility because it's not like we deserve grace it's unmerited favor from god it's not like just because we repented we are better than that's not the position that we get to take jesus came to offer us His grace, and so much more. In fact, Jesus is our way, our truth, and our life. And in this, our ways are like His, or at least where we're trying to live like Jesus. Our truth is Jesus. It's not in anything else. We can have a lot of questions. As long as we hold on to Jesus, He came and He rescued us. He showed us how to live and opened our eyes to the need for forgiveness. And when He gives it to us, We are better for it. Jesus doesn't want us to experience the pain of death. That's why he went to the cross for us. He wants to extend life to us forevermore. And the life, not only life, but life to the full. And life to the full is a life with Jesus. Jesus wanted this so badly that he too experienced God's wrath on the cross. This wrath that is our just rewards was taken by Jesus, taken away from, uh, from us by Jesus on the cross. He saved us by willingly going to the cross and dying for us, living a sinful life, knowing that that's what it te- took. And as he died on that Roman cross, he knew that this is what it was going to be for us to experience forgiveness. His crucifixion, his blood spilled. And he did this for you and me. And he is offering it to all who have sinned. And it says that his desire is that none should perish. Jesus can offer this because he also didn't stay dead. Amen? He rose from the dead. He defeated death, its powers, and its sting forevermore. So to give us his grace now looks like love instead of judgment. His banner over us is love, and he wants us to extend this throughout the world, even those who have spilled the blood of the prophets and the saints that have come before us. His love is that great, his forgiveness so complete that no, no willing heart, a heart that is willing to repent, won't be changed by his grace. And this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. His desire is not punishment. His desire is salvation. So a question that I, I wrestle with every single week just about is how do we live in the here and now in light of what is to come? And I think one of the answers, I think, and I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to you uh, in droves on this, 
But we get to live in a non-violent way towards all and love other people. That doesn't mean we have to agree with everybody. It just means that we get to love them. We get to see that in that, that salvation belongs to the Lord. We are not the saviors. Amen. That is such a good thing. Even if we are witnesses, we are witnesses of God's goodness and his grace. And here's why we're witnesses. We've seen it. We've experienced it. And so we attempt to show others the same love and the same grace and the same forgiveness that has been given to us. And it comes out of us because we understand it and we want to give it away. Salvation isn't our job. We don't and can't rescue others. But we can live for Jesus and allow others to see his life in ours. Amen. And just as salvation belongs to the Lord, so does judgment. Praise the Lord for that. Our judgments wouldn't be just and true. They'd be revenge, or at least our mood for the day. They would not be as just and true as God. It's not our job to dole out justice and righteous pronouncements all the time. If any of us have a problem with our current culture, guess what? It will get worse, and there will be more evil, and it will continue. And even then, our job is to let salvation and judgment belong to the Lord. One of the tragedies, I think, of Christendom in its current form is that it has so long worried about what's right and what's wrong and living rightly and wrongly. And we get to worry about ourselves living correctly before Jesus, before the face of Jesus. And I think so many times, but as we dictate to others what living for Jesus and walking with Jesus is, we forget that we need to walk with Jesus. It's so easy and it's so quick and easy to point out the evils of others because everybody can see it. But Jesus warns us of of this. He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye. And as you do, you get some humility and you get some grace and you understand love and you understand his mercy in this. And as we take the plank out of our own eye, we see that even the more we take the more that is still just there and inherent in our own hearts. And it leads us to humility. I think of this, how many Christian preachers have preached humility and yet live in pride? I'm not standing in judgment here. I'm I'm talking about myself as well as many others. How many have preached against sin, any kind of sin, only to fall victim to the sin that they preach so hard against? We've seen it over and over and over and over again. However, I would say this. Those are the most visible Christians among us. These are the the leaders. But this isn't just a leader problem in the church. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ think it's their job to save and to judge when it's not. It's Jesus' job. There's a Wendell Berry quote that I love, and I believe it speaks to this idea I think, it, I think it's actually a fairly biblical idea. It's something that in his context that he wrote about, he was talking about marriage, and he was talking about uh, people wanting to preserve this idea of marriage and, um, and to be sacred in our country. And he says this, marriage doesn't need to be defended. It just needs to be lived and practiced. 
We don't need to defend or be defensive. We just get to live and walk with Jesus. Walking with him step by step in humility, leave what is up to him, up to him and walk in a childlike faith that is, that is required of us. That is what we get to do. We don't have to know all the answers. We don't have to pretend to know what all the sins are. And if we do this, a byproduct will be less worry, less woes of this world will consume us and try and choke out our faith. And the more ability that we'll have to love, especially those that we disagree with, because we'll no longer be threatened by them. We can just live out of the grace and hope that is in Jesus. Our job is to live and trust and endure, to hold on to faith, to hold on to hope, to hold on to love. Our job isn't to know all the answers. This is what we get to be about. At the end of the day, our prayers will be answered. How and when, we don't always know. But we can trust that God is just, that he is true, and that he will do this thing. And we then, as we see these righteous judgments being poured out, we will praise God when we see it. And we can practice in that today. We are not the same since we met Jesus. Amen? We're not the same person. Let us continue to not resist His ways in our lives. Let us live in repentance and in humility. Let us live in faith and love. Let us walk like Jesus, giving all that burdens us to Him. And I'm going to finish by reading uh, Matthew 11, 28 through 30 from the message. And this has been a verse that I think speaks to this. The truth is, is that I don't know when judgment's going to come. I don't know exactly what it looks like. And I've said this before in my sermons, I wrestle with a lot of the violent language that's in here. But at the same time, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can walk with the humility. We don't need, we don't need to be worried about what's going on in this world. We just need to keep our eyes set on Jesus because as those worries come in they choke us and they demand a need for answers and you know what we don't have them all and we're not going to and then we get to these verses are you tired kind of are you worn out yep are you burned out on religion 100% Jesus says come to me Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So Lord, may we learn to live freely and lightly in the shadow of your grace. Lord, as you do dole out punishment, Lord, we don't rejoice in the punishment, but we ask for those who need to come to repentance to come to repentance. Lord, we ask that we come to repentance, that we don't ever neglect this beautiful gift that you've given us, that we can come and walk with you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.